0: I think the media uh it, it can be helpful in bringing some attention to some of the most significant breaches and and helps get you know executive leadership and boards talking right but but i agree they, that that shouldn't be the only source of information that they get right ultimately CISOs need to be present at the executive uh, leadership level um to educate company leadership on threats that that impact their their organizations
1: today the imperative and focus is is much more around hmm the board's worried about you know i don't want this stuff to happen to me do i have the right team in place right so that's what they're concerned about because no board wants to be the victim of attack and have their their entire enterprise you know being redirected and focused and diverted away from regular business and and, and everyday work to go and deal with a, a major problem or a disaster
2: welcome to this episode of the Defenders Advantage Frontline Stories. I'm your host, Carrie Matri. And today, I'm joined by Jesse Jordan and Howard Israel from Mandiant. Now, today, we're going to be talking about the role of executives within cybersecurity. So, not just your CISO level executive, but also your your CIOs, your CEOs, and even boards. Um, it's an interesting topic that I don't think we touch on very much, you know, in the security space. We don't talk about it enough. So, to get us started, Jesse, why don't you, you know, give us give our audience, our listeners, a quick introduction to yourself.
0: Thanks, Kerry. My name is Jesse Jordan. I am a managing consultant with Mandiant, focused on strategic services and helping our clients assess and transform their cybersecurity programs. Um, I've been at Mandiant for about five years and I have 20 years of experience in cybersecurity. Started like many of us do in, in more of a help desk role, moving up to system administrator and then kind of more into the cybersecurity space. Um, I have had and and held various leadership roles in both the reinsurance and pension industries, uh, developing cybersecurity programs, leading cybersecurity teams and um, essentially moving programs forward. Um, Howard, I'll pass it over to you.
1: Thank you for that, Jess. Um, So my background is I have two degrees in computer science. My work experience includes National Security Agency, AT&T Bell Labs, 10 years in financial services, Uh, some time in healthcare, a lot of time in telecom. I've published multiple papers in cybersecurity. I have a total of 41 years experience all in cybersecurity. And I have currently led the virtual CISO practice at Mandiant for the past five years.
2: So I I feel like I am in good company to have the right people in the room to have this conversation today. So thank you. Thank you both for joining me. Now, you know, let's, let's think 15 years ago. You know, cybersecurity was just a little blip on the radar. It was a tiny piece of an IT budget someplace. It was not top of mind for organizations. Obviously, that's changed. So, Jesse, you know, you said you've been in the industry 20 years or so. What? How have you seen that evolve? Like, What happened to make it a board-level conversation?
0: Yeah, great question. I, I think, you know, what's really happened is the increase in disruptive attacks, um, particularly with ransomware causing, you know, significant business downtime, as well as as extortion, um, forcing executives and boards to make difficult decisions that 15 years ago, they might not have had to make. Um, I think that together with the increased media attention has really raised the eyebrow of executive leadership and boards across all industries. And is really making us think about, um, you know, how we need to address this problem head on, Uh, you know, boards are are now being called on to to make ransom and extortion payment decisions, right, Um, you know, pay, no pay, uh, negotiate or don't negotiate. These are board level decisions, Um, more board level involvement in in crisis communications, particularly to to suppliers uh, with supply chain attacks to shareholders. Uh, the regulatory environment has has changed quite a bit, right? So privacy and regulatory reporting obligations have increased. Uh, boards have to become more aware of these and and how they impact their organizations. Um, I would also say that you know at the executive level, we've also seen a, a large increase in executive level tabletop exercises, um, which really help kind of test a lot of this response knowledge to how we will address a, a cybersecurity breach. Um, including sector-wide, you know, where there's a breach of, of one organization that may have a downward effect to many organizations. Um, something we've seen quite a bit, but I would, I would, you know, to sum it up, I would say that the, you know, it, it's really the increase of disruptive attacks that is bringing a lot of attention to this issue.
2: Okay, so, yeah, we've gone from annoying attacks to actual business impact attacks. Um, Howard, I'm going to turn over to you, but, you know, is that, is that kind of what you see
1: yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, we used to see way back when when there were attacks that would hit the major the newspapers or the press or the news, even back to the to the mid to late 80s with with the you know, the Internet actually being brought down by a worm and uh, famous Milwaukee 414s, that would get the attention of the boards and they would, you know, the CEO, and they would write a note to the head of IT or the security guy and say, can this happen to us, you know, and they get all concerned about it until that faded away and all disappeared. But I think today the imperative and focus is is much more around, hmm, the board's worried about, you know, I don't want this stuff to happen to me. Do I have the right team in place, right? So, Th- that's what they're concerned about, because no board wants to be the victim of attack and have their their entire enterprise, you know, being redirected and focused and diverted away from regular business. In, in, in everyday work to go and deal with a, a major problem or a disaster, okay? They don't want the publicity or the negative publicity. They don't want the regulatory scrutiny because there may be, may be a lot of that involved. We've seen that occur on a number of occasions. So there's much more focus on the board to make sure the senior leadership team is focused on cybersecurity. They have it covered, they have it addressed, you know, that the staff properly, it's resourced. And they want that prevention in place to avoid that future headache or that future problem, okay, they want to know the program is is solid, is supported, and it's it's active and ongoing.
2: Yeah, and, and you know they don't even they don't only need to worry about their own organizations, but you know supply chain has become a major risk over the past couple years. Um, Jesse, I think we were talking before about you know how do you how do you look at your supply chain from the board level? How do they think about the risk tolerance within their supply chain?
0: Yeah, I I mean, I think it's definitely something that's become top of mind with all the supply chain attacks we've seen recently. Um, And I think that really it comes down to uh, communication to the boards, right? I think security leaders need to be um, explaining risk to the boards about, you know, supply chain risk as well as many other types of, of security threats. But ultimately it comes down to, having a strong third-party vendor management program um, within your governance practice, right? Making sure that security is involved within those third-party assessments that that you perform as an organization. Um, Understand your vendor risks, tier your vendors, tier your suppliers, Um, make sure that the board, and well, your executive leadership and the board are aware of your risky suppliers and and what mitigation um, efforts you've put in place to mitigate any risks that you've identified. Um, absolutely critical. I think this is something that, uh, you know, we've seen many organizations struggle with, um, but is critical to to ensuring that, um, you know, you're not breached through a, a third or a fourth party.
2: Well, and you know, you talk about updating the board, making sure they're aware of this, or senior leadership, but, you know, it's not just third party suppliers that they need reporting on. So what other KPIs metrics do you see being effective with senior leaders executives what do they care about and how how is that knowledge transferred
0: Yeah, I I think, you know, a common mistake we see security leaders continuing to make, and and this is not new. I mean, a lot of us came from very technical backgrounds. You know, we're all very, uh, you know, we we really like to get into the weeds and the technical details of our jobs. That's why we got into cybersecurity. That's what interests us. Um, But I think, you know, a common mistake we continue to see is Really, those operational metrics, um, for example, uh, number of total vulnerabilities within the environment, um, which you know any cybersecurity professional knows, um, you know if you deploy a, a, a Nessus scanner in your environment and you scan, you're likely going to find tens of thousands of vulnerabilities, right? Um, number of firewall blocks, a lot of the common report, reports that come out of firewalls, um, you know, number of malware detections from your antivirus software. A lot of a lot of times, security leadership is still providing these kind of metrics um, uh, up to up to you know both executive leadership and boards, and we really find that it's not helpful, right? I think security leaders need to become more business savvy in order to effectively communicate cyber risk to business leaders in language they understand, which is ultimately the business. Um, You know, so so a couple of things that that we often see useful is, you know, communicating intrusion attempts and number of incidents, but communicating financial exposure, overall impact and risk treatment as as part of that Um, communicate cyber spending right what's our loss to value ratio. Um, cybersecurity efic- efficacy or, or resilience, the production, uh, sorry, the percentage reduction in business risk provided by our security controls that we run within the environment. Um, executive leadership also loves to, to have comparisons right with, with their peers uh, in their industry verticals. Um, how, how do we, how do we shape up against what a lot of our peers are doing. Um, compliance, it, you know, like Howard said, the regulatory environment is is becoming more critical and, and boards really need to understand what their commitments are there, right? So, you know, another useful metric is what's our compliance in relation to our regulatory commitments, um, supply chain vendor management, like we just talked about. And you know what's our overall response time? How are we doing from from a, a detection and response perspective, and what's our time to remediation and containment? I think boards really want to know that because you know they're paying attention to the news. they see that many organizations are are struggling here, and providing that visibility uh, from a security leadership perspective is is absolutely critical
2: yeah howard how do you see the same same metrics being affected well actually. You know, I, I see reports with the the typical red, yellow, green. You know, let, let's tell executives red, yellow, green. My problem with that is that if you tell executives that we are green in cybersecurity, I think you're have your head in the sand <laughs> or you you just don't know what's going on, right? In cybersecurity, it's always it's always a red to a yellow. But, Howard, what, what else do you see effective with boards and executives?
1: So, so Jess's points are, are well taken, and I completely agree with that. Focusing on the business risk is, is really what the boards care about. And I think that you need to focus and, and explain to the boards the overall cyber, cyber program status, you know, the major areas, the major issues. They're not interested in the details and the weeds and things like that. That just goes right past them for sure. So I would focus on the major areas of the program, in particular, the controls, the defenses, and the responses, right? What is their capability and what is their experience in terms of those controls, defenses, and responses? Stay away from the details in the weeds. Some, a lot of those things, honestly, the boards have trouble understanding. And when you give them some of those KPIs that are, that are too specific, it just goes over their head and they don't they can't tell if the KPI is a good news KPI or a bad news KPI. And they, they ask you, like, is this good or is this bad? Like, should I worry about that or, or should I be happy with that number? Cause cause they can't tell, you know? So I say keep it at a level that, that maintains the focus on business, exactly what Jess was going towards.
2: Yeah, and, and you you see. You know, headlines, sensational headlines that are pretty deep into the weeds on you know this particular piece of malware is spreading like wildfire across X Y Z industry. But we don't want boards to like be driven off of headlines. So Jesse, what sorts of, what level of information do boards and executives need to know about the threats?
0: Yeah, I mean, you bring up a very interesting point, right? I, I think the media uh, it, it can be helpful in bringing some attention to some of the most significant breaches, and and helps get you know executive leadership and boards talking, right? But but I agree they, that that shouldn't be the only source of information that they get, right? Ultimately, CISOs need to be present at the executive uh, leadership level. Um, to educate company leadership on threats that that impact their their organizations and business operations, um, as well as brand or finances. Um, you know, not all companies are, are made equal or face the same threats. Threats can vary based on industry verticals, regional considerations, uh, the types of data you have, the types of environments you have. Um, you know some of the some of the things that I, I think we've seen be very useful is, is again, getting security leadership in front of the boards, and getting them educated on on some basic things right so so some of the terminology that they're going to hear about in the media uh you know apt what's an apt what's a fin actor what's an UNC actor these are things that you know not everyone is aware of and i think it's important to to get some of that basic terminology identified and, and help them understand what it means um you know global medium dwell time is something we hear about quite a bit, Um, you know, the the amount of time that attackers are spending within environments before they're detected, I think is very relevant. Uh, The types of attackers, uh, you know, it really helps set the stage. Um, You know, country specific threat intelligence uh, and the threat landscape, I think, is very important to communicate at a broader level, you know, so they they understand kind of what they're dealing with uh, within their regions. Um, get ahead of the news with some relevant examples, right? I think it really resonates when you bring up um, some things that they've recently heard about or read about um, when you're doing these threat briefs. Um, you know, we, we've heard a lot about the Russian-Ukraine crisis, uh, a lot of geo, geopolitical concerns around that. I think it's always good to bring up relevant examples to get the thought process going, um, but ultimately always tying it back to the organization and, and you know, your particular threat profile um, is, is important.
2: Yeah. And all of this it sounds great and easy for experienced CISOs, right? Um, you know, we've been in the industry a long time, so it's, you know, we understand these things a lot more, but there's a lot of CISOs that are new to the role. So Howard, I'm going to shift to you. You know, we were talking about executives and, and boards, but, but CISOs, they're, they're not always 10 year, uh, 10 years in the job, they're always 15 years in the job. So how do these new CISOs work in this environment?
1: So it, it's, it's complex, it's not easy. There's a lot of moving parts, absolutely, for sure. So whether it's a new CISO or an organization that doesn't have a CISO, but maybe just a security manager or, or security leader or something like that, you know, they need to rely upon their existing team, their IT team, and some of the people in the businesses to support them. It has to be part of security has to be part of a lot of people's jobs. You know, it has to be a significant uh, KPI within their goals and objectives for sure, Uh, because it takes the whole team. So one of the things I I worry about and I see all the time, by the way, is when, when organizations have security teams that that the people outside of the security team, if they run into a security issue or problem, they, they, they want to look at that and say, well, that's not my problem. That's security's problem. I'm not going to worry about that. All right. And that's not the case at all, whether they have a security team or whether they don't. Security is actually everyone's responsibility. Uh, even if it's just notification or reporting of a potential or possible issue, you know, that awareness is very important. But really, anybody, they, they, all the security teams require support of their other entire organization. The IT team in particular, but in particular also HR and legal and, and and customer support, you know, there's there's so many aspects and so much, so many things that are going on inside the business that no small team or even large team can actually deal with. They do require people who are on the front lines to assist and help out in many areas that are going to come up. So it's not enough just to manage the firewalls or manage the sim, they need the support of the entire team across the board that's critical to success for sure
2: well and then you run a team or you, you work on a team of you know virtual CISOs so you are in these environments where these organizations are lacking that um, CISO experience or maybe a CISO at all so what sorts of things do you see organizations needing from your team what where, where are those gaps
1: so the virtual CISO would do anything that the permanent or in-situ in- CISO would normally do. That would be managing the security team. That would be handling all the day-to-day security issues that are popping up and, and someone needs an answer on or decision on something. Um, their responsibility would include progressing the security program. You know, whatever those the program entails, whatever the scope is, whether it's to improve things or replace systems or or processes or stand up some new infrastructure related to security. That would be their responsibility. They would obviously be responding to any major security issues that occur. Um, they'd be interfacing to internal and external organizations with respect to cyber security. Whether they need support of those internal internal groups, or maybe you know messaging them or briefing them on what's going on within the organization. They'd be working with those business partners, you know, to help support the security program. And of course, supporting the sales team with any pre-sale customer security questions or issues that are coming up, because oftentimes, you know, those customers, to do their due diligence on the organization and they need help. Uh, the virtual CISO would be supporting IT audits, you know, and they even potentially be dealing with regulators and dealing with other external inquiries, potentially even from the press. So there's, there's, there's a wide variety of things that the uh, virtual CISO would need to deal with. And and really, it would mirror and virtually be the same as whatever sitting CISO would normally do.
2: Well, and I think one of the most impactful things that I've seen too is the the mentorship. You'll actually you know walk side by side with uh, inexperienced CISOs or or um, CISOs new to an organization to provide mentorship to help them get their feet on the ground in that role.
1: Yes, that's for sure. So there's obviously a lot of new people sitting in the CISO role, people being promoted up either within the organization or coming from outside. And a lot of times they don't necessarily have the business focus um, or the communication ability that a senior leader should have. So it's important that they get the mentorship and direction and advice so that they learn how to communicate with their peers who are directors or VPs of say um, customer support or development or product development, you know, other areas, HR in particular, right. That, you know, th- these people that are typically promoted into this role or, or, new to this role, they come up on a technical area in the technical track and their, their business language is not necessarily the same as everybody else's in the business because they speak technical, right. They speak the details, and they have to learn how to explain technical terms in basic concepts that the layperson can understand. So it's meaningful to them so that they can grasp it and then figure out how they can help each other. So that's pretty key. And of course, communicating with the senior leadership team who may or may not have, you know, technical background or experience.
2: Yeah, And, and making sure that they they understand the threats without scaring them into, you know, into into a state of, of fear where they can't uh, run their business. So that's that's interesting skill. So speaking about fear, let's, we're going to switch gears. We're going to talk about worst day scenarios. So a breach occurs in an organization. Uh, a lot of times we think about this as incident response, and the technical people come in, they do the forensics, and they, they um, you know contain the issue, they eradicate the, the threat from the environment. Well, we don't often talk about executives and the roles that they play beyond the CISO. You know, so Jesse, I'm going to look at you. What role do the executives play in modern day breach response, breach management?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think ultimately, you know, first of all, boards, board members, well, executives and boards need to take the position that cyber attacks are likely, Right. Um, and exercise their their oversight role to ensure that um, you know proper and appropriate preparations to respond and recover are being made. Um, I think you know at the board when we talk about the board level, I think keeping cyber resiliency on the board's agenda in discussions with with management is is really the first step. I think getting getting that oversight, getting that visibility is critical. Um, But ultimately, you know, in order for for executives and and boards to make uh, cybersecurity decisions and and with regards to breach management, you know, they need to be educated, they need to understand some of the things that that we talked about, right terminology, who the threat actors are, what are the threats that face my organization, Um, what are my regulatory and privacy commitments, Um, I think that you know that. Demanding that visibility is absolutely appropriate and and required. Um, and that really ties into the metrics that we talked about, making sure that the metrics and KPIs are in place. Um, you know, ask your security leadership to, to ensure that the decisions that you might be asked to make, particularly around ransom and extortion payment decisions, um thresholds pay no pay uh you know do we negotiate do we not negotiate make sure that these have been discussed and that a strategy has been developed and documented um you know in a cyber crisis response plan so when the time does come there's a clear path forward um, and ultimately, you know, understand in, in which cases the board will be convened during a cyber crisis and what those thresholds are. These are these are all areas that, you know, boards and, and executives play in, in breach management are a- absolutely critical to the success of a of a successful um, uh, recovery from a breach.
2: When you mentioned the, the crisis response plan and those those are deep. I mean, you're talking about how are we going to communicate with the insurer? How with our cyber insurer? How are we going to communicate with um, with the board, of course, with the media, with internal stakeholders, with shareholders, with investors? I mean, this list gets complicated quick. So how you know how should organizations approach that big problem?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think ultimately it starts at making sure that you know at the foundational level. Let, let's step back a little bit towards the security teams. Making sure that you have a documented incident response plan. Making sure that you know from a from a from a cyber perspective, we know the the, the teams internally, the internal business stakeholders, the technical teams, um, everyone that we're going to need to recover the environment and, and contain a threat. Um, let's make sure that's all documented within, within an incident response plan. Then let's boil that up to to the executive crisis level, right? To the to the level where we know at a technical capacity we're not going to be making business level decisions around um, you know pay no pay and 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 uh, r- reporting obligations to regulators and things like that. Those are, those are things that need to be ultimately communicated with the appropriate teams and documented in a crisis response plan. And I think, you know, really the first step is again, getting that education uh, to the executive leadership ab- about their threat landscape, and then starting to have those conversations. And, you know, sometimes the most effective way I see these conversations happening is by, you know, uh, the, the CISO sitting together with, uh, you know, the executive team, either one-on-one or, you know, part of a room and just asking them, hey, you know, you obviously hear about cybersecurity risk in the media, you you, you read the news. What, what concerns you about about cybersecurity and, and our organization that just that question alone will get the conversation going and will help inform your security program about how you want to structure um, you know your your incident response plan and ultimately your
1: crisis response plan.
2: Yeah, and Howard, do you you have thoughts on those crisis response plans as well that we just talked
1: about? yeah yeah I've worked on a number of them for clients for sure and uh, it's a challenge. You want to lay out all the potential c- scenarios um, that might impact an organization with respect to you know communications and, and crisis response plan and and provide as much guidance as possible that's written down as a means that, that people don't forget to do something, that they consider all their possibilities or all their options, especially with respect to response or communication or reach out or involvement, you know, their playbooks and things of that nature. It's critical to have these things documented because if you don't have it documented for sure, you know, you're just winging it, right? The organization is, is just responding by the seat of the pants. That's never a good way to respond things will get forgotten, things will not get considered, and considerations that should be, should be looked at won't happen. Um, with, without a documented plan, it's, it's extremely useful, and it, frankly, it provides confidence to the organization that they've got a document, that they've got a plan, that they know how to handle this, and that plan should be used as a basis for, for testing, for tabletop exercises, so that people know understand what the pl- what's in the plan, how to use it, you know, and, and how to take advantage of the information and knowledge that's in it um, to their advantage to 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 to, to make a response. That, that is as best as possible to the particular issue or incident. But I, I want to go back to something you said earlier about, you know, the board's role, the senior leadership team's role in terms of response. So the senior leadership team, you know, which includes the CEO, the COO, the board of directors, and all the major business heads for sure. They want to know that the right people are responding to the incident. That's the key thing. They've got the right people involved. There's a team in place. They're engaged. And, and they're doing whatever they can. They want to make sure that they're managing the response and that they're properly resourced, that whatever they need, you can provide to them if they don't have it already, whether that's approval for, for to, to get a third party or a or set of third parties involved, whether it's necessary emergency budget, whether it's approval on a communication that's going to go out to the press or something like that. You know, th- they'll be involved in those major decisions for sure. Um and they want to make sure that, you know, they've got a handle on it. That's, that's what they care about. Where they lose confidence is when they don't feel they've got the right team in place or that the team is going in the right direction. And they will surely move quickly to address that. Whether it's a change in the, in the leader for the response plan, in the incident, you know, who's, who's dealing with the incident or bringing in outside resources, whether it's external legal or technical resources for the response or whatever, just advisement. So, you know, and of course, what Jesse said as well, they'll be involved in major decisions such as, you know, pay, no pay, you know, what is what is the threshold or or take a direction in terms of response in terms of what we're going this way. No, we're changing our mind. We're going in a different area for sure. But having that response plan, you know, documented is so helpful when you're in the throes of things to have something to go back and reference to make sure you're not forgetting anything because people worry about that all the time.
2: Yeah. And and part of that response plan too is who's going to be on that team. Who's going to help you. It doesn't have to be, you know, okay, see, so we've, we've been breached. You need to handle all of these things. So it's important to also document what partners are you bringing in? Who else do you need to put on that team to make sure that you can manage through that crisis? So, all right, well, last question. We've covered a lot of things today, but um, Howard, I'm going to start with you. What is one thing you would like executives and, and boards to know about cybersecurity.
1: So I think the if if I had to pick one thing, it's something that doesn't stop. It's it's never done. It's always a work in progress. You know, the goal is to improve the cybersecurity program and the controls and defenses over time. My view is it's very important to invest now to reduce your likelihood of a successful breach or attack in the future. That's what you always want to be doing, investing now. You don't want to be in the mode of always responding to things. You want to get out of that response mode and get into the prevention mode. So it's it's an ongoing work in progress. It never ends. All
2: right. Jesse, same to you. What would you like executives and boards to know? One thing, only one thing.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's it's a critical question. And I think ultimately, if I were to pick one thing, I would say boards, executives and boards really need to be aware that – you know, recovery from from a large cybersecurity incident can take you know weeks, but but anywhere up to months, right? There's no quick fix. There is significant business disruption possible, and I and, and I think that there's still sometimes a misconception that, um, you know, if we experience a cybersecurity breach, we'll just you know recover our backups and and we'll be good, you know, business backup and and operational. Uh, rarely do we see that actually being the case. Um, you know, threat actors are very advanced. Uh, they 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 use very uh, complex uh, methodologies to getting access to environments, exfiltrating data and, and ultimately causing business disruption. Um, so it's very important that, you know, they understand that this this potentially recovery could could potentially take a, a long time and to make sure that you have, uh, you know, good third parties that can ultimately support you through that that recovery process
2: all right well thank you jesse thank you howard for your time today to our listeners out there thank you for joining us and please join us again for the next episode of the defenders advantage frontline stories thank you